the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. What does God say? There's a timing to this. And after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back because I know the plans I have for you. I know the purposes. I know your future. I know I don't intend to harm you. I have good for you. And so when God disciplines us, it's all these things in mind. He loves us. He's treating us as sons and daughters. He wants us to avoid, you know, the greater judgment. It only comes because we've turned a deaf ear to him. And ultimately, he's going to bring some good things out of us. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Second Chronicles. Contrary to what many think, when God disciplines us, He's not out to destroy us. Quite the opposite. It's because He has a plan for your life that He wants to make sure you don't destroy yourself. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches on what we can learn about God's love from the way he disciplines the nation of Israel. God never stopped loving them as his people, even when other nations captured them. If you're feeling God's discipline, take heart. It proves that he sees you as his child and one that he loves too much to lose. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 34 to 36, for part two of today's message titled, God's Discipline. Prophets like Joel and Jonah and Micah and Nahum and Amos and Hosea and Isaiah and Jeremiah, all those were prophets and others that God sent more and more to respond to the increasing wickedness of the people. And all because it says he had pity on his people and on his temple. He had compassion to reach the people who were wayward and wicked and sinful. But unfortunately, as much as God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them, to exhort them, to beg them to turn and to follow God, it tells us in verse 16... What did the people do? They mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Isn't that a sad verse? It's like, you know, here God tries to reach them. Though over 400 years of the monarchy, they continue to be more and more unfaithful. During this time, the Israel is divided. The kingdom to the north, Israel, kingdom to the south, Judah. There are 19 kings to the north, 19 kings to the south. Not a single good king in the north. 
and only about eight good kings of the south, and even then only one did not mar his testimony in some way. So because of wicked leadership, the people followed likewise, and for 400 years God had put up with their wickedness and their rebellion and their sin against him. 400 years. Most of us wouldn't last 400 minutes if someone wronged us the way these people were wronging God. Aren't you glad for God's patience? I mean, we've wronged him ourselves in many ways, and God is still patient with us, and he's loving, he's long-suffering. He sends prophets over and over and over again. And what do the people do? They mock the prophets, they despise them, they scoffed at them until there was no remedy. You know, sometimes we think that God's patience is endless. It is not. It is long-suffering, but it is not without limit. And God reached a limit. And he says there's no remedy here. I've tried to get your attention time and time again, and you don't listen, and so there's no remedy. And so what does God do? Verse 17, So he brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and spared neither young man nor young woman, old man or aged. God, notice, God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. The year was 586 B.C. History bears this out. What we're reading in the Bible is true. That because of the wickedness and rebellion of the people who were not responding to the voice of the Lord, constantly begging them, turn from your wicked ways, it reached a point where God's patience was tried to the max. So he whistles for the king of Babylon and says, then you come and you besiege Jerusalem. And so Nebuchadnezzar did. And verse 20 says that he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and his sons. The Bible tells us then that Nebuchadnezzar will take captive tens of thousands of Jews, deport them to Babylon, ancient Babylon, which is in modern Iraq. He would take them 900 miles over a period of 20 years, deporting people, taking them into captivity, and exiling them to Babylon. Imagine if you are one of those Jews. You are being uprooted from everything that is familiar and comfortable to you. You are being taken, snatched from your homes, often from your families. They would be separated. You're taken from your livelihood, your temple, everything that was familiar to you and comfortable to you. And you're transported to a foreign culture, a foreign land, a foreign language. Everything is unfamiliar to you. And that's your life for the next 70 years. Unless you're very young when you were taken captive by the Babylonians, you'll never come back to Israel. After 70 years, most will die in Babylon. And many will be born in Babylon who've never even known Israel. And this is their life now. And it's interesting that the Bible doesn't give us much detail about their life in Babylon during the 70 years of exile. There's only one book of the Bible that was written during that time, and that's the book of Daniel. And even then, we have only a limited view of life in Babylon for the exiles because Daniel served in the king's palace. He was put in a position of influence. He was deported with the Jews when he was a teenager, ends up in the king's palace serving the king. Much of what Daniel writes is prophetic, still hasn't even happened, even hasn't been fulfilled. The other part of what Daniel writes related to life in the palace. So we have a lot of questions that we don't have answers to in regards to the thousands of Jews who were deported to Babylon. How were they treated? How did they make ends meet? How did they acclimate to a new culture, a new language, a new land, a new life? The only little glimpse we get in the Bible about their feelings 
during this time is Psalm 137, verses 1 to 4. This is what it says. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? That's about all we have. Psalm 137, it is believed that Psalm 42 and 43 are also written about the exile in Babylon. Other than that, we really know very little about the hardships that they faced. But one thing is clear. God allowed this. God did this to discipline the children whom he loves. That's what he was doing. It got to a place where the people were unresponsive, so God disciplined them by sending them 70 years to Babylon to purge them of their idolatry, to get them to the place where they would realize how much they needed the Lord that they had rejected in Israel. So this, in effect, was God's way of spanking the Jews. He's spanking them. He's putting them on a 70-year timeout. That's what he's doing. You know, the whole timeout thing, I think, is a modern invention. You know, for those of you who practice time out with your kids, okay, maybe it works for you. I'm just telling you, when I grew up, there was no such thing as time out, all right? There was no such thing as time out. There was time down, you know, that's kind of what I got. There was, you know, time served, time to run, but there was no time out. The time, why don't you just see, you know, like a kid cusses out his mom, and the mom's just like, why don't you just sit there on the naughty stool? You just think about, you're cussing out your mom right now. You just think about, just center yourself, and you focus, and you think about... All those cuss words. Think about every single bad word you said. You just focus right over there. There's none of that. If I sassed my mom, if I backtalked her, I was eating soap on a rope. I was burping bubbles for a week. There's no time out. Sit there and think about it. And my mom was also one of those who never said, wait till your father gets home. No, 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 no. I mean, maybe once she said, I don't know if you'll live to see your father come home. But it was always, you know, you we're taking swift action now. And my mom had one of these, there was this paddle ball game. Do you guys remember this? It's, I'm kind of dating myself. I don't know if they still have it. Small wooden paddle, long elastic rubber band with a soft rubber ball on it. And, you, and you know, it would bounce back and you just keep, you know, doing one of these. And my mom was good at it. We'd have contests. Who can bounce it the longest, you know? Well, one day, one day that little elastic band broke. And my mom's standing there with the paddle in her hand. And she, She's like, this will come in handy. So she hangs it up in the kitchen, and she writes something on the paddle. I don't remember. Like, you know, I don't even remember. Maybe it's just my name. Maybe it was just like, you know, this will be a fun day for you. I don't remember exactly what. And it was just me and my sister. And if we got in trouble, and if she wasn't near that paddle, then it was usually the fly swatter. The fly swatter, folks. You know the mesh on, like, fly swatters? If you ever had mesh on the flesh, I have still a burn right now that I will not display. But anyway, it's just... If I'd had a cell phone as a kid, speed dialing social services, that's what I'm going to do. No, it really wasn't that bad. Honestly, it wasn't that bad. And maybe I shouldn't joke, because some of you probably did have a terrible upbringing. And, but I appreciate my discipline, because I know that the discipline is what spared me some greater hardships in life. And so I'm thankful that my parents disciplined me and that they were balanced in their discipline towards me because we need to understand this about God. God was disciplining the Jewish people here, and God still disciplines us. And I'm going to share with you five aspects to the discipline of God. I'm going to go through the list very quickly, and then I'm going to conclude with one point because I want to answer this question as well. 
How can you tell the difference between when God is disciplining you and when you're just experiencing hardships because you live, we all do, in a fallen world? So I'm going to try to answer that one at the very end. But for those of you who are taking notes, five things about God's discipline. Here's the first thing. God's discipline means that God loves us. Jesus said in Revelation 3.19, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. In Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, it says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. And that verse, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, is quoted again in Hebrews 12, 6. So we get it Old Testament and New Testament. The reason why God will sometimes put the squeeze on us and make life difficult, not because He delights in it, but because He loves us so much that He will never be content to see us on a wayward path. And so there are times you're going to feel, we all will feel the squeeze of the Lord. Note, it's because He loves us. It's a loving parent who lovingly disciplines a son or a daughter. Number two, we also see in Scripture that it means that God accepts us as His sons and daughters. In Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, it says this, And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when He rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those He loves, and He punishes everyone He accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but only painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In other words, God is using the analogy of like a human father to a son or a daughter. It's written about father and son, but it is generic for a father and a son or daughter, a mom, a father, to a son and a daughter, that that human discipline, the idea is there's relationship there, okay? You know, you and I don't go around disciplining other people's children. We only discipline the children who belong to us in our family. That's what God is saying. If I discipline you, then guess what? It means I accept you as a son or a daughter, that you belong to me. There's relationship there. Parenting is difficult. We want to discipline our kids too, but we want to find the balance between being too soft and being too harsh. And God's discipline is always just right. He knows just what we need. And we need to tap into the wisdom of God for that kind of discipline with our earthly children too, the father and mother too. And God bless those of you too who are single moms and dads trying to do the work of two people. Because parenting is not always easy. I read something that Mark Twain said about how difficult parenting is. He said, parenting children is like being pecked to death by a duck. <laughs> it's hard sometimes, just this relentless thing, you know, that, that is going on in your life. And so God gives us the grace. But oh, that we should find that balance between being too soft and too harsh. And God always is just right in what we need. He's never too soft on us, and He's never too harsh. But He loves us enough that He will sometimes put on the squeeze, and life will get hard because he's disciplining us to bring us back centered. Number three, 
It is only exercised after we have ignored his repeated warnings. When you look at the story here in Second Chronicles, what happens? The people were in rebellion for roughly the whole 400 years, give or take a few years where they were following after the Lord. For 400 years, God was patient with the people. It wasn't that he brought the king of Babylon on year one. This is 400 years later. And it's not that God is going to be swift in disciplining us. He is patient with us. And he gives us time to repent and to come clean and to get right with him. But when we are in repeated, continual rebellion against God, that's when we're going to experience the discipline of the Lord because it only comes after we have ignored repeated warnings. Billy Graham said this once, quote, God does not discipline us to subdue us, but to condition us for a life of usefulness and blessedness. In his wisdom, he knows that an uncontrolled life is an unhappy life. So he puts reins on our wayward souls that they may be directed into the paths of righteousness, end quote. Number four, we also see in the Bible that God's discipline is intended to spare us a greater judgment. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 11.32, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. What is he talking about there? He says, when we're judged, small j, by the Lord, it's part of his discipline, so that we will not be judged, capital J, with the rest of the world on the great day of judgment. And that's what God is trying to spare us of, that there will be times in our lives where he's disciplining us because it's his judgment, small j, to bring us back in right relationship with him because he loves us and he's treating us as sons and daughters. And he ultimately wants to spare us the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, when we know him as our Lord and Savior, we escape the great wrath of that day of judgment, capital J. But we need to submit to the judgment, small j, along the way as God tries to move us in right relationship with him. Psalm ninety-four, twelve says, blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord. Number five, last on our list is this. God's discipline is timed and designed to bring us closer to God. It is not this indefinite thing. There's purpose behind it, and it is timed. How long was the discipline for the Jewish people in Babylon? Seventy years. And that 70 years was predicted in advance because God had it already worked out in advance. And he even spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. And the wonderful conclusion to this, the 36th chapter, 2 Chronicles, is that it actually gives us an epilogue here because it advances 70 years and it tells us what happened after 70 years. Look at here still in chapter 36. Look at verses 22 and 23. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible fast forwards here at the end of Chronicles, and it tells us, here's the epilogue, here's the way it turns out, that God had predetermined 70 years, but his purpose was always to bring them back. He just wanted to rid them of their own sinfulness and selfishness and idolatry and bring them to a place of surrender, but he was going to bring them back. And what does God do? History tells us, bears out the Bible, the Bible tells us that 
God raised up the Persian Empire to subdue the Babylonians. And the king on the throne now is King Cyrus of Persia. And God moved in this pagan king's heart to be kind to the Jewish people that he had now assumed the kingdom of Babylon. And what does Cyrus do? He says to the Jews, God's put it on my heart. You guys can go back home. Seventy years are done. You guys can go back home. And it tells us here this is fulfillment of the words of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah utters some of the most familiar words to us. But here's the context of these words. It's Jeremiah 29, 10 through 13. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And here's the familiar verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. What does God say? There's a timing to this. And after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back because I know the plans I have for you. I know the purposes. I know your future. I know I don't intend to harm you. I have good for you. And so when God disciplines us, it's all these things in mind. He loves us. He's treating us as sons and daughters. He wants us to avoid, you know, the greater judgment. It only comes because we've turned a deaf ear to Him. And ultimately, He's going to bring some good things out of it. If you're here today and you're feeling like life is really hard, you're going through some difficulty, the question then is, is that difficulty part of God's way of disciplining you and getting you right with Him? Or is it some just reality of living in a sinful, fallen world and bad things happen to people? Okay? And here's the answer, I think, to that question. How can you tell the difference between the discipline of God, His heavy hand, and just, you know, the trials that we all face from time to time? And I would submit two words to you. Clear conscience. Clear conscience. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1.12. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. In other words, he says, it's my clear conscience that allows me to discern between what's the heavy hand of God and what's just living in this world and suffering the consequences of just living in a fallen world. That's just the reality of living in this world. He says, it's a clear conscience. So if you're here today and you realize, you know what, some of the hardships I'm going through probably pretty directly attributed to my own rebellion against God, then I would encourage you, pray, repent of it, submit yourself to God. Because see, when I've been in a place, you know, in my life where I know this is God's heavy thumb on my back right now, and I know it's attributed to something in my life, my prayer has always been, Lord, help me to learn from this as quickly and thoroughly as possible so that I can get relief from what you're trying to do, you know, here. And so, but God loves us. That's what he's going to do with us. Otherwise, if you have a clear conscience, okay, I'm going through a trial. This is a difficulty, but I'm not convicted that there's anything directly that I've done to offend God, then chalk it up for just living in a fallen world. But if God is impressing in your heart today that you're estranged from him, I invite you to turn to him. Repent, because He has plans for you. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. And Job 5, 17 and 18, I'll close with this, says this. It's great verses. Job 5, 17 and 18. 
Blessed is the man whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of the Lord Almighty, for he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. The writer of 2 Chronicles intended the book to be a reminder of God's love and faithfulness to the people of Israel. They needed this history lesson to remember and renew their trust in their Creator. Can you recall a time in your life where God came through for you? When you find yourself in a difficult situation, remember that moment. God will always be with you, and His promises are always worth holding on to. We hope today you've been blessed by everything you heard on Cornerstone Connection. This teaching and others like it are all available on our website to listen to again, or even download and share with others at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find more information about this program and Pastor Gary, as well as some helpful resources. Just click Companion Resources under the Teachings tab to find PDF files that will enhance your own study of God's Word. We'd also love to meet you in person, so if you're in the Leesburg area, please come by one of our services. We meet Sundays and Wednesdays to worship our Creator and study His Word. If you can't make it to a service, you can always live stream them from our website. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today. Join Pastor Gary again for another insightful edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.